We're turning tonight to Matthew's Gospel, the beginning of the New Testament, chapter 1, and we read in verse 20 of Joseph, the adopted father of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, But while he thought on these things, Joseph's journey to faith, if you can remember last year, We thought of Mary's journey to faith. But this evening, perhaps we think of the forgotten character of the Incarnation. We think of Christ, of course. We think of Mary. We think of the shepherds. We think of the wise men, however many there were. We don't often think quite so much of Joseph. Joseph the father, the adopted father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He makes a journey. And you know, so often in the Bible, the conversion experience that we all have to go through is told and retold through the imagery of a journey. You can think of so many journeys, journeys of the Bible, journeys of faith. Our own, can we call him that, our very own John Bunyan. He depicts the journey that Christian and Christiana take. The journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city. It's a winding journey over an uneven terrain. There are rough paths, but there's also sunlit hills and dark valleys that he travels through. Well, Joseph, let's look tonight at the journey that he takes. A journey from abject despair. Some of you tonight, you've known days, times of life, when it's only seemed to be darkness. There doesn't seem to be a pathway ahead. How can I get out of here? The fact is you can't. Only the Lord can help you. Only the Lord can lift you up. Only the Lord can show you the way to go. And this is Joseph's experience tonight. And so we consider the very little that we know about him as a person And then we will look at the journey that he takes. There's only really three things told us about this man. We know very, very little. But first of all, we find out that he was in the right family. Can I say that? Was he in the right family? Was that that an advantage or a disadvantage? I don't really know. But he was in the right family because... His great-great-great-grandfather. It tells us in verse 2, and you trace it down to verse 16, his father was a relative of Abraham, the chosen family. Genesis 12, verse 3. We thought of it this morning. Of course, here in Matthew's Gospel, he does something that apparently was well known in Jewish writers' circles, he compressed the family line into three symmetrical 
groups of 14, 42 generations. Luke records it slightly differently, but apparently there's something in the number 14. We won't go into that tonight, but there is an explanation. It's not a contradiction. It's part of literature for why it's three fourteens. Abraham to David, David to the captivity, not in Egypt, but in Babylon, and then the captivity in Babylon all the way down to the Lord Jesus. That's compressed in verse 17. The generations fit neatly into three fourteens. But the significant thing for us is he had a special family. I don't know whether that was an advantage. Some of you tonight, I'm sure, many of you, you have a special family. You have a family and you can look back and say, my father, my mother, my grandfather, they were Christians. Some of you can't say that. Sometimes it's an advantage because you can be shown the things of God. You can be taught the scriptures like Timothy was from Lois and Eunice, his grandmother, his mother, from when you're a child. But you know, I think for some of you it's a disadvantage. Some of you have sat in chapel for many years, your parents, your grandparents, all the way back. They were God-fearers, they were those that loved the Lord God, and for you it doesn't seem you need a crisis experience of coming to true faith. Because your life just seems to be a continuum. There doesn't seem to be anything that you need to leave. There doesn't seem to be any great outward sin. On the outside, you seem to be just and righteous and upright. Sometimes it's a disadvantage. Sometimes we long... I did as a child, growing up in a Christian family. Oh, if only there would be a shining light, a Damascus Road experience, that I could turn from worshipping something horrible and dark to the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I would have a testimony, a conversion to boast about. But that's not true. Why would you want to sit in darkness and worship a hundred idols? What a blessing and privilege that Joseph has to be in a special privileged family related back to Abraham. Abraham, the father of the faith. Every pious Jew held Abraham to be such a person to look up to. Well, that's the first thing. Secondly, we know, not found in these verses, but found elsewhere, that Joseph had a job as a carpenter. Now, I don't think he was the sort of carpenter that made posh Chatsworth cabinets or some Chippendale furniture. You can tell by the offering, Luke 2, 24, I think it is, 
that he offered two turtle doves, two pigeons perhaps. Mary and Joseph were so poor, they hardly had two denarii to rub together. It doesn't seem to be a man that had a business. He was a sort of day laborer. They were poor, poor people. When he got engaged to Mary, he didn't go and build a house, as was the custom of some that had the wealth. No, they were poor peasant people. He had a few tools. He got work where he could. He was just an ordinary person. I think this was an advantage. He wasn't of grand stature. What does Paul say? Not many wise, not many noble, after the flesh are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things to bring down the wise and bring down the rich. Oh yes, there are some. The Countess of Huntingdon, she was such a blessing. And then Lord Radstock that went through Russia and many of the nobility were converted to Christ, but they're the exceptions. Those great noble people, but Joseph was not noble. He wasn't rich. He was a peasant person. I say that in the nicest way. He was just so ordinary. A poor, poor man. Well, thirdly, we know that he wasn't a priest. He wasn't on the rota that served at the temple. He was just an ordinary layman, and that also was an advantage because so much of what went for religion was a sham. It was a money-making exercise. It was to make profit. It was to push down the people, and that's what religion's like today in many countries. The religious rise up and they push down the poor and they extract money from them in the name of religion. But Joseph was just an ordinary man, just a plain, ordinary person socially, professionally, and in terms of his religion. He was a plain Joe, as we could call him, a plain Jane, a plain Joe, whatever the term is, he was unsophisticated. And yet, he was chosen to be the man that would raise the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Isn't the hope for us all? If you feel ordinary tonight, the Lord uses ordinary people. There's far more ordinary people that come to church and find faith than there is the rich and the mighty and the noble that seem to have everything and yet have nothing. So let's look at Joseph. That's the three. That's all I can tell you about his background. Let's consider what happens to him. Now the birth of Jesus Christ, verse 18 was on this wise. What beautiful words these are. The narrative is so plain. It happened this way. Do you know this is the most pivotal event in history? 
the life of Christ, and it just says, Christ was born like this. And this is how it's explained. When, as his mother Mary was engaged. We've thought recently, those of you that came to a Bible study, the Jewish engagement process was very familiar. The couple made a commitment to each other that was even more than marriage in a sense, because the penalty for breaking it was great in those 12 months usually, from the time of espousal, betrothal, engagement, to the time when the couple came together. If that promise was broken, in ancient times before Matthew, it was stoning by death. Deuteronomy 22.22 They couldn't enact the death sentence here because they were under Roman rule, but engagement was a serious business. Sometimes, very sadly, engagements are broken off. And that thought goes through Joseph's mind. They were engaged. The custom was that the man wouldn't see his wife-to-be for up to 12 months. He kept himself. He went to prepare a room or a house or build a house. And then on that day, 12 months or thereabouts hence, he would go to her house and she would be carried through the town. And there would be a great feast at the father's house. And he would go in unto her, as the Bible says, and they would come together and they would become husband and wife in every sense. Joseph, engaged. Well, what does he hear? He hears something that was absolutely shocking. In a moment, his whole world was turned upside down before they came together, before the 12 months was up, before he went to her house, he found that she was with child. You know, the words don't really convey it. My whole future has gone. He's a broken man. I made my pledge, I made all my hopes, my dreams, my future. Everybody knows about it in the town. And now I'm a fool. Everything I'd planned, we were going to live together. We were going to make our home together. Our future, our dreams, gone, dashed, broken in pieces. And that's what sometimes happens in life, isn't it? Everything you're desired and dreamed and planned and all the future broken. His world turned upside down with these words, Mary was found with child. We don't know how he knew. But he somehow, perhaps through the Holy Spirit, perhaps word got to him, she was found 
with child of the Holy Ghost, but he didn't know that was the explanation. He just got to know that she was now expecting. No human being was involved, but he didn't know that. This was to be a Holy Spirit, new birth, conception. And so we read verse 19, Then Joseph, her husband-to-be, being a just man, and not willing to make a public example, there's something about Joseph. He's a humble man. He's a sensitive man. He didn't want to do what he could have done. He wanted to do the right thing, it seems, by the term just, and this is debated a little. By the term just, it means he was a man of integrity. He was a man that wanted to do the right thing. He was a man that was waiting for the Messiah to come. He was a man that knew the scriptures. It means possibly all of those things. He was a just man. What do I do? I've got to do the right thing. But she's broken her promise. She's betrayed me. She's let me down. So Joseph starts. He's in a complete dilemma. He's in a spin, a head spin, a tail spin. Everything's upside down. He's confused. What do I do? And he does what we should all do very often. When you're in a spin, when you're in sixes and sevens, you don't know what to do. You sleep. You sleep on it. He went to bed, it seems. His explanation before he goes to bed is just a natural one. He thinks only naturally, physically. He thinks of only the explanation that comes to his mind. It must be. She's been unfaithful. There's another man involved. But that's his human explanation. Do you know that's where we go wrong so very often? We think just on a human earthly level. We think that life is all there is. We think of human reasoning. He hasn't thought of God. He's left his God out of the equation. He's left the God of the scriptures that he knows and he, he's read and he's heard and he's been to synagogue and he's heard them. But he doesn't think that there is a spiritual explanation. His explanation is not supernatural, it's natural. The only way seems to be what was becoming fashionable at the time, a bill of divorcement. And he doesn't even want to do that in a way that he could have done. He could have gone to the Romans and said, stone her. That's what Deuteronomy says. So he was minded to put her away quietly. He didn't want to make her life any more shameful. He wanted to do the right thing. He was unsure how it could be done and how the whole town wouldn't know. And so he goes to sleep. He's got a thought in his mind. This is what I must do. When I wake up, this 
is what I must do. Now let's come to our text. Matthew 1.20 But while he thought on these things, do you see the darkness? Do you see the world turned upside down? Do you see his confusion and dilemma? And he goes to sleep. Did he count sheep? What did he do? You know what it's like. You can't sleep. Your mind's just going round and round. And sometime during the night, his head's hit the pillow and he starts to dream. While he chewed it over, while he thought on these things. We don't often think deeply enough, do we, these days? We live in a world of noise and entertainment. We live in a world where very often our children, they have their minds filled all day long. How often do you pause and think on these things? The biggest change in history. The Son of God became man. Your life turned upside down. And that might still happen yet. And when it does, remember this verse. Think on these things. Don't do anything rash. Don't do anything foolish. Go to sleep, ponder, think. Think of what you should do. Not what you feel like doing. Not what you have in your mind, but what you should do. And that very night, during his careful thinking, the angel of the Lord appears. This is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to him through an angel. The angel Gabriel comes and speaks, and Joseph's going to remember it. Do you remember his other ancestor, also called Joseph? And the Lord spoke to him in a dream and it was confusing until he woke up and he was given the understanding of what it meant. Well, look at what the angel says. The first thing he says, you are a son of David. Oh, that's significant. David, the one through whom would come truth, life. An everlasting kingdom. The Messiah. You're a son of David. Have you forgotten, Joseph? You've thought rationally, naturally. What's happening here is the fulfillment of everything that you've heard when the scriptures, Isaiah's been read in your hearing. You, you're the one, son of David. What's the next phrase? Fear not. Don't be anxious. Stop chewing it over. Stop spinning on a sixpence. Going nowhere. Fear not. God is in control. Everything that's happening is planned. It's for a reason. 14, 14, 14 generations this time, this place, you in that godly line. 
You're a son of David. That means you're a son of Abraham. And he knew what that meant. Fear not. What's the third thing? Obey my words. Go and take Mary. Go. Go to her house. Go now. Forget all your human thinking. Go now. Fear not. Take her. Go to her. Don't consummate the marriage yet, but go and become husband and wife. God is calling you. He's sending you. Go and take her. Here's the fourth thing. The Holy Spirit is in this. And you know that's what happens when everybody is converted. It's not a preacher. It's not a priest. It's not a mother. It's not a father. It's the Holy Spirit conceiving within the heart and the mind the seed from heaven. This is a picture of conversion. The Holy Spirit is at work inside Mary. And Mary and Joseph need to understand in their own new birth that in this new birth, the Holy Spirit is at work. What does he do? He wakes up. Is he going to believe? Or is he going to carry on doing what we do so often? Chewing it over again and again and again and again. Excuses, excuses, excuses. Put it off. Go with my thinking. No. He stops. And he obeys. And he goes forward. And he puts away his stupid ideas. And he does what the angel tells him to do. Obey. Follow. Put your faith in my words. Trust me. Don't fear. Go to her house. For the Holy Spirit is superintending everything. And you just need to go forward in faith. Put one step out of your bed. Get up. This is real. This is true. This is prophecy fulfilled. This is the incarnation. This is the new birth. You've got to believe it, Joseph. And he did. What will you do tonight? Is this just the Christmas story? Is this just shepherds, wise men, a stable if there was one? Probably a room in a relative's house where they also kept the animals. This is the word of God from heaven to your soul, to Joseph's soul, to Mary's soul saying, fear not, believe, obey, go forward in faith. Let me tell you what he does in seven steps. First of all, he wakes up. Are you asleep? Are you dreaming? Are you living through life just in a dream? Joseph wakes up. He gets hold of himself. Sleep no more. First step. Second step. 
he starts to think, what did he say? What must I do? What was the word I heard? Obey, go in faith. Thirdly, he does what he's told. Go forward. Go by faith. One step at a time. Take the first one. He does. Fourthly, he trusts. It will be as the angel has said. I must trust. I must obey. He enters into a covenant relationship with Mary. He could have waited. He should have waited, but he won't wait anymore. He wants to become the husband and wife relationship that he should. And isn't that pictured in the church in Christ? Go forward. Go and make that relationship with Christ. But look at the words here. He wouldn't take her. He wouldn't know her until the child is born. What does that mean for us? He was to keep himself pure, holy. This was a calling to holiness. This was a calling to say, from now on, I won't go as I would have done. I will wait on the Lord and I will keep my pledge in holiness. And so he did. He went forward in faith. Is there someone listening tonight? He was a just man. You're a just man, a just woman, I'm sure. Outwardly religious. You might have the right family. You might be a simple, ordinary person. You might believe. But you've never exercised that faith. You've never come forward. You've never gone in faith. You've never done as you should have done and obeyed. What does Joseph do now? And she shall bring forth a son, and he shall save his people from their sin. Who named the child? Joseph did. He gave it the name. It was given to him. What did he have to do? What's the start of his journey? His start of the journey is to go to another country, to go to Egypt, to live in the world. And he was told, look down here, we can't ignore this. Matthew 2, verse 12. Being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed. They left what was comfortable. They left home. They went into the world. Because the Lord was saying, go, 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 in order to protect the child until you hear word to return. He becomes a pilgrim, a wanderer. He has to make a very difficult journey with very little to support him. But he becomes a pilgrim and a wanderer, and a refugee, and a stranger. Do you know that's what we are called to do? 
if you've never become a Christian tonight, the call is to become a pilgrim, to follow through life, a life of faith. They had to believe that's what you do as a Christian. You believe, you trust, you leave everything behind, and you trust that the Lord will bring you word in due time. Is this you tonight? Is this the journey of faith that you need to take? Joseph's journey of faith. Let's close our worship tonight, singing our final hymn, number 100.